Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. Many of you, most of you, I hope, will recognize those words spoken by Abraham Lincoln in November of 1863 at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. A nation was divided. The news headline on March 2nd, 2021, just five days ago, stated this. Millions of, and then a church denomination was named, which I won't name, Millions will go left, but millions more may be right. Whether we're dealing with a week ago or a century and a half ago, you get the feeling that unity is not often the norm. Do you have that feeling as you sit here this morning about our country, our state, our community, perhaps even our church? This morning we're beginning a six-part series, which will be done over the next three weeks, um, done by the elders, entitled, Intended for Unity. We're going to explore in depth God's good and perfect commands for his children to live in unity with one another. Listen to Psalm 133.1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So where are we today in March of 2021? The pandemic and the many issues resulting from it have been divisive in our culture. Major racial incidents over the past year have been divisive in our culture. The presidential and congressional elections of 2020 have been divisive in our culture. Economic fallout from the pandemic has been divisive in our culture. Rampant conspiracy theories have been divisive in our culture. And typically, what's going on in a culture tends to filter down to the church. Churches around the country and the world have been affected by these things, with members having vastly differing on various issues, from masks to mandates to political and racial incidents. We've seen sharp differences of opinion. When truth <coughs> on these issues is so elusive, how do we respond when what I think is true about an issue is not the same as what you think is true. In our nation, people are leaving churches and either attending another church or staying home and watching online because of differences over these and other issues. In some cases, these have been people who've been long members and their leaving has been heartbreaking for their friends and for pastors and leaders. While we elders at Northfield believe that we've not been affected quite so much as some other churches, we do know that we have not been immune from these problems. Having said all of this, we have felt after much prayer that having a series of messages 
looking specifically about what the Bible says about the unity of believers and its importance can be helpful for all of us. For this series, we're going to use as our text John 20 to 23. These verses are the concluding portion of Jesus' prayer for his disciples after they shared the last Passover meal together. We should note that these are essentially the last words of Jesus before his crucifixion. He says very few words to anyone after this time. Would he not want his last words to be about something he considers very important? I think so, and we would do well. So let's read the verses. They'll be projected on the wall, and uh, the bolding was done by me. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world that you sent me, and love them even as you loved me. <clears throat> Taking our cue from the bolded phrases, our big idea for this series is that the world may know Jesus. We are intended for unity, that the world may know Jesus. Unless the world sees an inexplicably loving and unified community, it will not believe our claims. It may not even listen to our claims. Each one of the six of us will cover an aspect of unity, speaking each Sunday. This morning, Tim and I will speak about how in Jesus... We are all one family and one body. Next Sunday, Matt and Bill will be speaking on maintaining unity and speaking the truth in love. And on March 21st, Evan and Dale will finish the series with bearing one another's burdens and encouraging one another. So let me begin my portion by talking about our being a family. When I use this pronoun, our, I am speaking of those who have placed their faith in Jesus and for their sins and are commonly called believers or Christians. As we will see in a minute, that makes us a family. I realize that many of us here are already believers, but if you are not, I want to just review briefly how you can become part of that family. <clears throat> Romans 3.23, we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The first step is to recognize our sin. What's the result of that sin? Romans 3. For the wages of sin is death, 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That death means eternal separation from God or spending eternity in hell. So what did God do? Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What do we need to do? Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the result of our doing that, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have not taken these steps, and if you'd like to, or if you'd like to explore it more, please talk with one of the elders or just talk with anyone who you know has taken these steps. For those of us who are believers, what does the Bible say is true of us? Many things are true of us, but one of those is that we are a family through the common bond of faith in Jesus. I'm going to look at a number of scripture passages without much comment as they're self-explanatory. I confess that when scripture is read during a message, I often kind of listen to it uh, superficially in anticipation of hearing what the speaker is going to say about it. If you have that same tendency, because I'm not going to say much about it, I'd urge you to please focus on what the scripture passage is telling us. So what does scripture say about us being a family? As believers, God is our Father. Matthew 23, 9, And call no man on earth, for you have one Father who is in heaven. Matthew 6, 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. As believers in as believers, Christ is our brother, Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. As believers, we are children of God. John 1.12, but to all who, did who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. As believers, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Matthew 23.8, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Luke 8.21, But he answered them, my, brother, my mother and my brothers who hear the word of God, and do it. In Matthew 12.50, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. As believers, we are a family. A family is to live in unity. 
Genesis 45, 24. Then he, Joseph, sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. In Psalm 133, 1, which we looked at at the beginning, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. God's family is to live in unity that the world may know Jesus. What does that look like? That could be a whole message or even a whole series of messages by itself. But here are just four instructions from Scripture regarding our earthly family that can also apply to the church. And that may be covered in more depth in some of the subsequent messages. We know from familiar passages in Ephesians and Colossians that God has established a leadership structure for the family with the husband, the wife in submission to him, and the children in obedience to both of them. The church also has a leadership structure under which we should gladly function. Husbands are to love their wives. We are to love one another in the church. Wives are to respect their husbands. We should respect one another in the church. Members of the family are to practice mutual forbearance and forgiveness. This is also a necessity in the church. But, and here's the problem, families do not always live in harmony and unity. We have many examples in both the Old and New Testaments where families were torn apart by jealousy, hatred, deceit, ambition, waywardness, insubordination, unbelief, and lust. Many of us have experienced one or more of these things in our earthly family. Some of you may have an intact family, but there is not harmony within it. Some may have had your family literally torn apart more of these things. If you've had experiences like this, you may be thinking that believers being a family is a poor example to use for unity. I can only remind us that sin is the culprit. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 19, 7 and 8, where the Pharisees were asking him about divorce. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives from the beginning. It has not been this way. God's plan for the family, both our earthly family and our Christian family, from the beginning, is unity, that we may be one, so that the world may know Jesus. We know that Jesus considered it important enough to speak of it with some of his last words. Because of sin, we will not always be unified in either our earthly family or our church family. But unity is God's plan, and he wants us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to strive together and to live in it 
Tim is now going to talk about our unity because we are a body. Good morning. Thank you, Don, for showing us the blessing that it is to be a part of God's family. I'm going to be reading out of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, and we're going to explore Paul's teaching on the church having many parts but being one body and one spirit. I know many of you have already uh, studied these passages, have read them. Some of you may not have heard it. Uh, before this morning, but I want you to listen and soak up this beautiful passage and know that every one of you is of great value to this body. As a unified body, we want to show Jesus to the world. The scripture is found on page 959 in your uh, Bible in front of you. And it's titled, One Body with Many Members. For just as the body is one and it has many members, and all the members of the body are one body as it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, there would be the sense of hearing. And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are in. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lack it. If there may be, <clears throat> that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now the body, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? 
are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So what is, what unifies us? How can we be a body? And what makes a body? It's our foundation in Jesus Christ that unifies us and makes us this body. Foundation in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. For we are baptized by the Spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. We are one by our faith and baptism in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have placed your faith in him, not in man, not in works, you are a part of the body of believers. And God's spirit lives in you. You are, not, you are of the same spirit <clears throat> as those who have put their faith for salvation in Jesus Christ. No matter where you are from, what you look like, whether you have an accent, we are one in the spirit. I want you to take a look at this picture. And this is not where Waldo. If you look to the middle of the picture, Anne and Paige are in this picture. They are with many of them with brothers and sisters in Christ. When we serve the same Lord, we have a beautiful unity. Even in the church universal, these native believers were gathering to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the gospel coming to them. Even though Anne and Paige could not speak their language, they had a bond. They had a bond through Jesus Christ. Today, I'm not going to focus or focus more on the unity of this body, but I did not want to neglect and to mention the unity of believers throughout the world. How neat the church of Christ is. You can go on to the next slide. As believers in Jesus Christ, we work side by side as the Holy Spirit gifts each one of us. All gifts come from God when we become believers in Jesus Christ, and that's the representation of the bottom of this triangle. We are accepted and adopted into the family of God, just as Don has talked about. We all have individual walk with God, but as we individually seek God, we strive to walk closer to him. We will also be drawn closer to each other as we move up the sides of this triangle. We begin to see Jesus more clearly, and we become closer to Jesus and our fellow believer. It is a win-win situation for us. We move closer to God, and we move closer in unity as the body works together.
Let's take a look at this body. For the body, many members. Paul uses the analogy of the human body having many parts and each body having a different role. When all parts are doing their role well, the body functions well. When I'm in good health, I am not thinking about my liver functioning well, nor am I thinking about my big toe not hurting. But when I stub my big toe on the corner of the chair, I'm out of balance. I feel pain. My shoe may not fit, and so on. So it is with us. God has gifted all of us with special and gifts that he chose for us. When he created us and when he filled the spirit, these gifts, excuse me, when we are filled with the spirit, these gifts can be used to glorify him so others will see Jesus. If we take a look back at verses 15, 16, and 18, Paul continues to say, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, and again, as This is God's design. All the different parts of the body are important. And, the, and no part is more important than the other. It is our human tendency to elevate certain gifts above others because we have a fleshly or a flesh nature. But that's not God's nature. We struggle with pride, which causes us to compare, to think too highly or too lowly of ourselves or others. Our flesh causes jealousy. But Jesus always makes a better way when we can choose God's eyes and choose to live by the Spirit, we then can see God's good gifts in each other for the building up of the whole body. It is then we can see and love each other as God sees and loves us. And we can value each other as God does. This next picture, I think most of you know who that is. I think he is the greatest basketball player to ever play, Michael Jordan. And when he came out of college, he was drafted by the Chicago Bulls. And when he started playing, he would score 30, 40, 60 points per game. Thing is, he didn't win championships. He could not do it on his own. And the next slide will show what a team can do. This is a team of basketball players that have won, that won three back-to-back-to-back world championships in basketball. They call that a three-peat. Now, I would assume most of you still know number 23, Michael Jordan, and another one that was well-known, number 33, Michael Pippen. Scotty, what am I thinking? Michael, Jordan, Scotty, Pippen, see you all know. Number 91, and yes, that's red hair, Dennis Rodman. The gentleman down on the lower basketball player, lower left, Steve Kerr. Upper left, Derek Harper. Ron. 
you know what, I had these and I guess maybe I should follow my notes, but Ron Harper. And then number 34 is Bill Winnington. If you look at this team as a body, each of them had a role to play. Were they all scoring machines like Michael and Scotty? No. They each had a role. They each played their role well, so they functioned well together. They were each valued for the role. And in that, they had the success of winning championships. Were they all well-known? Obviously not, because I couldn't even remember them up here. So, but each, again, each player knew their role, each player was needed, and each player was valued. As a church body, we need each other. This is not a weakness, it's God's design. Look back to creation. Everything was good until God made man and said it is not good for man to be alone. And Jesus himself surrounded himself with disciples and shared many experiences with them. Even when he prayed in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, he took Peter, James, and John to stay with him. God's design, God's designed us to live together in peace and unity, even though we are different. Just as we look at ourselves in this church, we are not all the same. Each one of you have different gifts and roles to play. All of you are needed for the church to function well. All of you are needed for the function well. All of you are loved by this body, and all of you are valued. I want you to know that. Remember what verse 26 said, when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And when one part of the body is honored, we all rejoice. So our unity never stands completely still. It's constantly moving, and it moves quickly. So as people follow Christ, our body grows, and God uses more people. But God also takes his saints home. <clears throat> he, he continues to resupply his body with his spirit and his gifts. I can honestly say that we are blessed, very blessed here at NCF. And I am touched and blessed by this body. So many of you are walking daily with Christ. Your walk inspires your neighbors, and so on and so on. As pointed out earlier in that triangle, when we seek God individually, we are all drawn together through the Spirit. Our body here at NCF has many parts, and it's inspiring to see when people use their gifts and as God has intended. And I'm only going to give a smattering, a very small smattering of, of the gifts and talents that I have seen. We have prayer warriors in this church. And these are the people that have a beautiful gift of prayer. When they engage with you, they are sensitive to your needs. And they often end up praying over you. And they take you through that prayer to the throne of God. They lift you up to the throne. 
the one who can help you, and you walk away blessed because you're walking closer to God. We have many others who are serving and loving others, being sensitive and available for those who are hurting or who are in need. Many of you will cancel your afternoon plans and make a pot of soup. And you may think, ah, it's just a pot of soup, no big deal. But what you are doing are blessing. Your act of kindness is blessing someone to show love and unity to the body. Other gifts and talents that we have in this church, teaching, preaching, visiting others, blanket making, working in the nursery, providing meals for families, babysitting, cleaning. And I don't know if you realize this, but there's always liquid gold water when your tongue is stuck to the roof of your mouth. This is gold, but it's always redone, replenished, and I'm actually going to have a drink. So thank you. And all these things working together so that the world may see Jesus. That the world may know Jesus. We have a book at home and it's called The Ultimate Bible Guide. And it summarizes 1 Corinthians and I just want to read it to you. The many problems a congregation may have, whether doctrinal or practical, will be resolved and submits properly to the lordship of Christ and learns to love one another genuinely. Let's treasure each other. We all have our reasons and excuses of why we don't use our gifts, but I encourage you to step forward this morning. Step forward and walk in obedience. Take one step in obedience and watch God multiply it. You see, he loves to bless you. He loves to bless his children. And when God blesses, you better watch out because he can do immeasurably more than we can ever think or imagine. I want you to look around this room right now. Look at your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are beautiful. They are designed to live and work in unity with you so that the world may know Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just come to you now and want to thank you for showing us the picture of a family and for showing us the picture of the body. We thank you for your love for each one, and I thank you for each person who are online, who are those who are teaching right now. I thank you for each one of them. Lord, we just are so humbled uh, for the love that you show us, and we pray that you will help us to walk um, through those doors and go out in service so that the world may know Jesus. There is a psalm, a song that says, we are one in the bond of love. We are one in the bond of love. We have joined our spirits with the spirit of God. We are one in the bond of love. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for that love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.